Hello and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. One of the most significant phrases found in the Bible is in Christ. As Jesus followers, because we are in Christ, having placed our trust in Him for eternal life, we have victory over our sinful nature. We all struggle with various things. We have fears, temptations, and stresses, and sometimes we don't feel very victorious. Listen today as Pastor Tim continues in the series titled, Who Am I?, as he shares how we have victory over sin. We hope that this talk encourages and inspires you as you grow in your relationship with God and others. Well, good morning. About 20 years ago, I spoke on the subject that I'm going to be talking about here today, and I used as the text, the main text, the one I'm going to be using here today. So it was 20, maybe even 25 years ago. It was a long time ago. And after I did that talk, several weeks passed, maybe two and a half months or so, before a young man approached me. He's about 30 years old, which is young to me. But he said, could we talk? He said it was really a very serious thing that he wanted to talk with me about. And so I said, sure, I'd be happy to talk with you. And we set up a time to do it. And the time of our appointment came, and we sat down. And the young man was very nervous. I could tell, boy, whatever he was going to share was kind of going to be a big deal. Now, before I tell you what he said, I want to mention that the guy in this story has since passed away, and so has his wife. But, and they both died young. But uh, the wife specifically wanted me to share his story with the congregation because she thought it would help. The young man, as he was sitting there, told me or confessed. He said, I've got a confession to make. He said, I have been living a double life. Now, here was a guy that um, had what seemed to be a really strong marriage. He was somebody that was serving in the church in various ways, attending Bible studies. But he said, I have this secret life that I've never talked to anyone about, and it's been going on for years. He said, I've been involved in these sexual activities with different people at an adult bookstore. And my wife knows nothing about it, he said. I make excuses for why I'm coming home late. She never suspected anything. And, um, and he was the type of person that because of his commitment and everything else, I wouldn't have expected this either, but we know that these things can happen. And so he confessed this to me, and uh, he, he wanted to talk to his wife about it, and he knew that there might be some implications to this thing. Now, he told me he couldn't stop, is what the problem was. He had tried many times to stop giving into this sin, but he felt like he was like a slave to these ungodly passions. He kept trying to resist. He'd arrived at the conclusion that you can't win this battle. You just can't do it. And so he gave in every time. And and really, that was, in a sense, the only time he got relief from the temptation, is how we would put it. Sin is like that. It's a deceiver. In fact, the Bible talks about the deceitfulness of sin, but sin makes a promise that if you, if you, if you give in to it, it'll fulfill some desire. But in my mind, when I think of, of how sin works, I think of a, a per- person who is so thirsty, who's parched, and they're, they, they're tempted with some water, but it's salt water. And maybe as they drink it, it feels good going down, but the end is, is horrible. All it does is makes you more thirsty. And that was this guy's situation. And so I asked him, well, why, why are we talking about this now? What changed in your life? And he said, well, two and a half months ago or so, you did this talk on Romans chapter 6 about how we're not slaves to sin anymore. 
And he said, I believed it, and it changed my life. He said, I waited two and a half months because I wanted to make sure this thing was real. And he said, but it is real. It's not that the temptation isn't there anymore. It's that it has lost its power over me. I can now say no to it. Now, the truth we're going to look at here today is that truth, that we don't have to give in to temptations and sins. Now, today we're continuing our our series titled, Who Am I? Uh, It's basically a series about who we are in Jesus, because when we put our faith in Christ, Paul wrote, we become a new creation, something new. All the old is gone, the new has started, and so there's certain things that are now true of us, and as Christians, we need to see those things. And there's this phrase that's repeated over and over again in the New Testament in various forms. The phrase is, in Christ. In Christ. And Paul says, and the other writers say, if you're in Christ, there's certain things that are true about you now. There's certain things that are true about Christ now that are kind of transferred to you because of your faith in him. You're a changed person. And the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now at work within our lives. We are different people, but we don't always see it. We don't always live differently, which was this guy's situation, but he had changed. And God did give him the victory up to the point when he finally passed away, and his wife was willing to forgive him. It was not easy, but there was a reconciliation that took place. He had really been set free. Now, last week I talked about the fact that in Christ we're forgiven, and we looked at three doctrinal subjects, justification, redemption, and propitiation, just big words. But the words mean this, that justified, if, if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified or declared righteous. That's what justified means. You're declared righteous. It's a legal declaration. You are forgiven. That's why you can get to heaven. It's based on Jesus' redemption. Redemption is to pay a price to secure the release of someone or something. And Jesus paid the price with his own life. And so there's this redemption, but the way he did it was what's called a propitiation. He himself became an atoning sacrifice. And so based on these three things, justification, redemption, and propitiation, we are truly forgiven. And I want to talk more about this in the weeks ahead. But today I want to talk about the fact that in Christ we're victorious. Now, we'll struggle with many different things all of us do in life. You know, we have fears, we've got temptations, we've got stresses in our lives. And some of these things do have different solutions. Today, I specifically want to talk about the fact that we've been set free from the power of the flesh or the sin nature that comes at us. We've we've been set free from this because of our faith in Jesus Christ. The flesh is what we call the sin nature, and, and a sin nature is an inclination to sin. And so you know what, like the, the nature of a, a pig is to roll in the mud. It loves to roll, it loves to get dirty. Some animals aren't like that. They won't roll in the mud, but the nature of a pig would be to roll in the mud. Nature of a dog is to bark. We're watching one of our children's dogs right now. It took the dog out for a walk. A neighbor came out the door and the dog went a little crazy barking at this neighbor to protect me. It's the nature of a dog. We have a thing called a sin nature by virtue of the fact that Adam was our descendant and we have an inclination to sin in lots of different ways. But when Jesus rose again from the dead, he broke the power, the authority of that in our lives. 
Now, what does this flesh look like? What does this sin nature look like? Well, Paul describes it in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. He says, the works of the flesh are obvious. It's sexual immorality, moral impurity. See, sometimes things aren't, aren't immoral, but they're impure. Uh, promiscuity, which is giving yourself to various things, usually in the sexual area. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. These are all things related to the flesh. They're things that we give ourselves to that are not good. But when we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, and he changes us from the inside out, and different qualities then are revealed. And so Paul continues in Galatians 5, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of God's Spirit in you, are things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, good, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is my main idea here today, what he says here. Those of you who belong to Jesus Christ, you crucified the flesh with its desires. You put it to death. Another way to put it is you say to it, I am dead to you. And it's by virtue of our association with Jesus Christ. Now we're going to be looking this morning primarily at Romans 6, as I said. And in Romans 5, the chapter, obviously, that comes right before it, Paul makes the point that sin came into the world through one man, Adam. So Adam introduced sin into the world, and with sin came death, because the wages of sin is death. And then it spread to all of us. But Jesus came in to solve that problem. He came in to not only provide forgiveness of sin, but to provide victory against sin, to break its control over us so that we never need to give in to it again. And so in Romans 5.17, Paul said, Since by one man's trespass, namely Adam's, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness, that's what righteousness is, by the way, God gifts it to you when you put your faith in Christ so that you're qualified to go to heaven. How much more will those who receive this grace from Christ and this gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so we're allowed to, we, we reign in Christ through him, and that's really the heart of what we're talking about here, having victory in our lives. But what do we need to understand to do this? What truths do we need to understand if we're going to have victory, especially over the, the flesh and the sinful desires? What did my friend cling to what belief did he hold to that allowed him to say to something he'd struggled with for years, I'm done with you? Well, it's this truth about the fact that we have died with Christ. See, in Romans 6, Paul talks about the fact that Jesus' death and resurrection was the means of defeating sin, and our own death and resurrection is the means for us to defeat sin in our own lives, and I want to explain what that looks like here. Now, before we jump into Romans 6, Romans 5 ended with a wonderful truth. And the truth was this, that grace is so much greater than sin. Whatever sin you've committed, God's grace is greater. In fact, there's a truth that he talks about in Romans 5. It's a little bit hard to understand, but, but he makes the point that, that when you sin more, 
more grace ex- expended toward you so that there's more grace when you sin, not less. And Paul understood that if people understood that truth, that the grace comes when we sin, we might want to keep sinning. And so he starts chapter 6 with this question, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? You know, if greater sin leads to greater grace, let's just jump in with both feet because we'll get all this grace. And he he says in verse 2, absolutely not. I'd put it this way, how stupid can you be (laughs) to think that's... (laughs) Grace is meant to be the power of victory over sin. It's not supposed to be the excuse to sin more. And so he says, absolutely not. And then he raises this question, how can we who died to sin still live in it? How can someone who died to sin? Now, that's the theological point. He's saying that if we are Christians, we've, we, we died to sin by virtue of our association with Christ. And what that means is that its power over us then again is broken. Now let me use some illustrations here to help you understand what this looks like. I have shared before, probably even recently, I think, the one of the first jobs I ever had was delivering flowers. I worked for a florist. I kind of cleaned up all the stuff in the floral shop. I, I made some arrangements. Uh, they, they give me a picture. I mean, this is scary that I'd make arrangements, but they gave me a picture of what the thing's supposed to look like, and I'm grabbing flowers, and it's like, I guess it's not rocket science. And then I delivered flowers, and, and the main place I delivered, when I delivered flowers, it was, to, it was to the funeral homes. And I've mentioned before that the first time I did this, I freaked out a little bit, because I mentioned to the, the funeral director who it was, and I said, where do you want me to put this? And he pointed to this dimly lit room with a casket in there and a body in there, and he said, put it by his head. And then he walked away, and I'm thinking, I don't want to do that. You know, I slowly walked into, the, into that dark room, you know, and I'm kind of, as I'm bending down, I'm like looking up, making sure there's no movement, you know. Because I knew if the guy sat up, there'd be two corpses in there, you know. That's that's really what I was thinking, you know. But it wouldn't happen, right? Because the person is is dead. I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful, but they're dead. And if somebody is dead, they're no longer influenced by the things of this world, are they? You know, you could yell at someone who's dead. You could poke at someone who's dead. You can make demands at someone who's dead. But the power of this world is completely broken if they're dead. So you can threaten that person and say, well, I'm going to get you, but it won't, there'll be no effect. You could order that person around, they won't listen. Now, Paul's making the point about us that, that when we put our faith in Christ, we identified with him in his death and his burial. He, Jesus broke the power of sin, and it no longer has authority over us. And so he raises again the question of verse 2, you know. I mean, how should, should we sin so grace may abound? He says, absolutely not. How can, we, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, it's not suggesting that temptation and sin disappear. All of us would attest to the fact that temptation seems very much alive. The temptation to sin, it's very much alive. That's not the thing that died here. It's we're the ones who died. And so it comes to us and it makes its demands. But there's no response. 
Many years ago, when my daughter was young, we got a rabbit for her. It was a big white rabbit, just beautiful, so soft and whatever. One day we were playing with the rabbit out in the yard, and the rabbit was hopping around and this and that. And shortly after that, we noticed that the rabbit's eye. There's something wrong with the rabbit's eye. And, and so we went to the veterinarian with the rabbit and said, you know, the eye—it's something's wrong with the eye. And, and we were told that a, a worm actually worked its way, as gross as it is. This is not a fun message, is it? But as gross as it is, apparently, if if you um, if you let your rabbit out in the regular lawn, they get these—they can get these worms. I didn't know that because we have rabbits in the back all the time. In fact, I should have saved my money and got one of them. But anyway, they said we have to we have to remove it, and so they they gave the、uh, rabbit some kind of anesthesia or something and put it out, and then they removed the worm and. Gave it back to us, and we we are not it, but the rabbit. And、uh, we left to go home. And on the way home, this rabbit was in my daughter's lap, if I remember correctly, and it just went limp. And she tried to pat it and shake it a little bit. No noise would awaken it. It was it was it, it died. It was just a shocking thing. We turned right around and went back to the clinic, hoping that there's something they could do to revive the rabbit or something. But there was nothing they could do. All they did is graciously re- refunded the money. But whether it's a person or whether it's an animal, if it's dead, if you, you, any prodding or yelling, or it's not going to get its attention anymore because it's dead to the influence of this world. And this is the argument that the Apostle Paul is making. The power of sin over our lives has been broken, because Jesus broke it when He rose from the dead in His resurrection, and then we identify with Jesus Christ, recognizing that we too then have victory over this sin. And so, temptation comes our way. Says, "Listen to me. You've enjoyed this in the past. Do what I ask you to do. Come on, you." And you say, "No, I don't. I don't have to do it." It, we do not have to listen to it. Now, Paul, in the next verse, strengthens his argument because he makes the point: not only have you died to sin, but now you are alive in Jesus with resurrection life. How, the power of the Holy Spirit is now inside of you, so you have now two things going for you when it comes to saying no to sin. One is that you've died to it; the power has been severed. And number two, the Spirit of Christ is working in you now. Let me explain the verses I'm about to read.、Uh, I, this is a little different, but I want to explain it up front so it kind of makes sense as I'm reading it. But Paul's going to talk about the word baptism. He's going to talk about the fact that we were baptized into Christ, and the word baptism just means to place into.、Uh, sometimes, in a theological sense, it means to be identified with. You know. Anytime you see the word baptism, though, in the Bible, anytime you see the word, you have to ask, "Into what am I being placed, or something being placed, you know, or immersed?" And and so, if it's water baptism, then then you're placed in the water. Water baptism is when you're immersed into the water, and we here believe it illustrates a death, a burial, and a resurrection. 
But there's another baptism spoken of in the Bible, and it's called spirit baptism. The Holy Spirit baptizes us. In 1 Corinthians, it says, For one, by one baptism you were placed into the body of Christ. So by one placement, by one into, the Holy Spirit places us into the body of Christ. And so there are two kinds of baptism are the main ones in the Bible. I am convinced that when we put our faith in Christ, we, we, we are baptized in the Spirit at that moment. It's not something that comes later because you need that to have spiritual life. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God comes to live within you, instilling new life within you. You are born again. And so you're baptized in the Spirit, and this is the reality of the victory we have because the Spirit is inside of us. When Paul talks about baptism here in the verses I'm about to read, the question is, which one is he talking about, water baptism or spirit? And the answer, I believe, is both. Because the water baptism is an illustration of the spirit baptism. Spirit baptism, by the way, is when you're baptized in the spirit, it means the spirit is placed in you and you are placed into the church, the body of Christ. For by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, you were baptized into the church. So if you're baptized in the spirit, which means if you put your faith in Christ, you were baptized, the spirit was placed into you, you were placed into the church. If you're baptized in water, you're placed into the water. But both are true. Your victory over sin is because you've been baptized in the Spirit, and it's illustrated by your own water baptism, where you say, when I go under the water baptism, I died to sin, and I buried that baby. And then you come up out of water again, and it illustrates the new life you have in Christ, and that's the point he's trying to make in Romans 6. So let's read it. In verse 3, he says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, whether spirit or water, you were baptized or placed into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in a new way of life. It refers to a new quality of life, not new in time. Verse 5, for we have been joined with Christ in the likeness of his death. We will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self, that old person before Christ, was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished. So that we no longer be a slave to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims or sin's demands. By virtue of our association with Jesus Christ, we recognize we've died to sin now. Because Jesus died for sin and defeated it, and we do the exact same thing in our new life in Christ. Dr. Warren Wearsby explains it this way, I am in Christ and identified with him. Therefore, whatever happened to Christ has happened to me. When he died, I died. When he arose, I arose in him. I am now seated with him in the heavenlies. Paul says that in Ephesians 2, in the mind of God, you're already up in heaven. Because of this living union with Christ, the believer has a totally new relationship to sin. And he goes on to say in Romans 6, sin is not your master anymore. You don't have to listen to it anymore. And so the solution he gives is in verse 11, a few verses later, he says, so this is what you do. He says, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You, you decide what are you going to die to and what are you going to live for? And we, we make this decision, I'm going to die to this sin, I'm going to bury it. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. 
And sometimes it requires the help even of other people who come along. But the theology is that if you're in Christ, the power of sin has been broken. Jesus broke the power. And by virtue of your association with sin or with Christ, you say no more. So he concludes at verse 12. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts, namely of your body, to sin as weapons or tools for unrighteousness. Don't use the parts of your body to do unrighteous things. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Become someone who is a force for righteousness in this world because you're not under law, but under grace. And so let me give you some questions by way of application. Number one, is there some area in your life that you've been giving yourself to and you know it's something that God doesn't want, something that doesn't please Christ? Is there some area that you can identify? I think most of us would think, well, there's this area or that area. Number two, are you willing? Are, Are you willing to face that thing and say no more? By the grace of God, to recognize the truth that you are dead to it. Do you realize the power you have to overcome sin in your life? Now, we've been in habits of saying yes to this thing. And you might even fail in the future. We'll get back up. The victory is yours. But we need to learn what it means to deny sin and its power in our lives. And finally, I just want to mention, as I do every week, that some of you maybe don't yet have a relationship with Christ, and maybe your sin problem, which we all have, has not been dealt with. And the starting point for you is to turn to Jesus Christ, who died and rose again to defeat sin. Say yes to Jesus, for God loved the world in this way, He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him, whoever trusts in Him, whoever attaches themselves to the risen Lord Jesus Christ, will have eternal life you will be born anew. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we do have a victory through your son, Jesus Christ. I just recognize that so often we, we don't recognize that. And yet I know when we get to heaven, we'll look at it and say, there was nothing that needed to be our master. That we could have said yes, that you've given us everything we knew, need to live a holy life before you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.